Choir musicians, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, folks, this is church. No better place that I can think of, no more appropriate place than the issues of life and death, heaven and hell, be dealt with. I cannot help but think, as the choir has sung, it is well with my soul. Can you say that tonight? If the Lord should call you home and you stood before him, And he asked you, what have you done to gain admission to heaven? What would you say? Kept the law? That won't do. Been baptized? Wonderful, blessed ordinance. But that won't do. Would you say, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. And that's my only claim. That's my only hope of heaven. I have nothing else to claim. Are you that certain of where you're going to spend eternity? Well, we'll get an invitation again in a few minutes, but I had to say that. It's required. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we found out this morning that Cameron McGill can preach. I sat at the table with him at lunch. He can eat, too. <laughs> That's all right, isn't it, Cameron? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We're delighted that God brought him to us for the first part of this week. This morning, tonight, Monday through Wednesday. If you didn't bring a friend tonight... You have allowed them to miss something that they would have been blessed to hear. Cameron, welcome to Wake Chapel Church. Thank you for coming to be with us. And God bless you as you preach for us tonight. Thank you, Pastor. What an honor I shared this morning just to be able to share in this week and to, uh, to be in this pulpit. I take that. Uh, very, very seriously, and I'm so grateful for that, and so grateful for the, the foundation of the Word that you folks have, and that's rare these days, and I know that's uh, from your pastors uh, laboring in the Lord, and we're grateful for Him. Tonight, we're going to look at a few lessons learned from the land of Oz. A few weeks uh, back, I um, actually a few months now, I was sitting on the edge of my bed, and I was transported in time. Back to the time that I was a teenager, which is more years than I would like to admit. In fact, Tyler's turning 14 today. Where is Tyler? Oh, what's up, Slick? You couldn't find any place down here to sit, I see. <laughs> Closer to heaven up there. Tyler's turning 14 today, and I was thinking, man, I'd love to be 14 and and, and, and I, I'm 41, so it's kind of the backwards, but um, I was younger than Tyler even. And I remember it was usually around October that this particular movie would come on, and it was a, just a, a tradition to, to watch it. And I never liked it, to be honest, but it just became a tradition. I, those little flying monkeys always scared me. But here's a few months ago or so now. I was just literally just transported. And... Um, and, and it was as if I was back in the room that I grew up in. I could smell the smells and I could sense the atmosphere of that room. And, and God just spoke to me so very clearly and showed me a few lessons from the land of Oz. So tonight in our brief time together, I want to share, and there will be five of them if you'd like to keep track. Look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, 2 Corinthians the 5th chapter. We're going to begin tonight looking just at one verse. And I agree, Pastor, tonight's invitation has already been given by the choir, the beautiful music, the hymns that we sung. But I wonder tonight if we realize what it really looks like, what it really means to be a believer, what it looks like to be a Christian. It was in the first century uh, that, be, that, that, that believers began being called Christians, and it was not a, a term of affection or endearment. In fact, it was almost 
poking fun at them and saying, oh, you're just a little Christ. You're one of those followers of Christ and you're going around trying to be just like Christ. Well, yeah, that's what it's about, but it's not about mimicking anyone, but it's literally about living out that which you and I claim to be. Not only a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but a, a disciple of Christ, a believer, one who is passionate about their beliefs. Let me go ahead and say by way of introduction, I'm glad to be here through Wednesday night, and, and Wednesday night will be an evangelistic night, and I want to encourage you each night to, be, to bring folks with you, but especially on Wednesday night, maybe you've got a coworker, a friend, somebody that you go to school with, play ball with, a neighbor, somebody down the street that you just can't stand them. I don't care who it is, but, uh, but it's somebody that needs Jesus. Get them here Wednesday night. That's going to be our evangelistic push. Other nights more for the church. That's what, that's what revival is all about. Well, let's look together. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 17. Paul writing here to the, to the Corinthian Christians. And he says, therefore, if, that's a big word, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. He hasn't just turned over a new leaf. He's not just trying to do better. He's not just getting his act together. But he is a brand new creation. What does that look like? Well, he says, the old things are passed away. And behold, all things. All things have become new. I've got to tell you about my friend Junior. Junior's one of those uh, men that God's allowed me to minister to for the last number of years. And he does not mind me telling the story. I met Junior, and he was a, he's a mechanic. Man, I wish he was here with me tonight. My brakes went out just a little bit ago in a little car. But anyway, um, that's a true story. Uh, most of mine are, by the way. But anyway, Junior was a, he was a mechanic in our community, and his son was a member of our church. His son was so burdened for his daddy, and I'd go by and visit with him. I'd get to work on the car and stuff like that. And Junior's language was terrible, and, and he just didn't care much for preachers or for church or anything of God. And he'd tell me, listen, you know how I am. If you come around here, I'm not going to act any different just because you're here. And I said, well, I understand. I, I appreciate that even. And we just kept on going back and loving on him. Well, Junior finally came to church one time. And you know, when, when you like a little timer up there, usually it's a girl that gets you to church. That year, it's either your mom or a pretty girlfriend, you know. But, um, but anyhow, but when you get to be older, you know what gets you to church? So his granddaughter was going to be singing in a, 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 in a pageant, in a production that we had there at our church. And, and so she invited him, and we had gone by and invited him to come. And he finally agreed, and he showed up. And, and, and something touched Junior's heart that night. He began coming more and more. And finally, in a crusade a couple of years ago, Junior was born again. I mean, he was radically transformed, saved by the grace of God, and we're grateful for that. Well, fast forward, it was this past um, fall. And, uh, and Junior's brother died up in the mountains of West Virginia. He went up to the funeral, and I went up there as well. And the day before the funeral, Junior was sitting in traffic and began to pull out, and a car ran the stop sign and hit him and just tore his car all to pieces. Well, Junior, who had been known for his temper, he jumped out of his car, and his wife, she put her head, head down on her hands, and she said, oh, no, here we go. This is going to be awful. She was so worried what Junior was going to do. She could just see him now pulling the woman out and screaming and yelling and maybe even hitting her for tearing up his car. So she took the little mirror and she turned it where she could see what was going on. And Junior ran back to that car and he swung open the door to that car where that woman was seated. And he leaned in and he said, honey, are you all right? <laughs> Junior's wife began weeping in the front seat of that car. And she said for the first time she knew without a doubt. She was not married to the same old man. And she began praising God for the new husband that she had prayed for and wanted to see uh, come to know the Lord all those years. Thank you, God, for my new husband. That's just one example of many. You can share stories as well. For tonight we're going to look at what it means and what happens to us when we become brand new. Father, I pray that you would just guide us uh, through the time of worship tonight. God, that you would give us clarity and wisdom. And, Father, that we would be able to just spend some time with you. That you'd be the teacher and we'd be the people. Holy Spirit, be the interpreter to it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I know you can't see this picture real good. and uh, But we're just going to look at each of these characters. And hopefully, if you know a little bit about the wisdom of this will help out a whole lot. Well, I don't know. They told me just to talk. <laughs> 
Let's see here. I got to start all over. We're on now. <laughs> Hang on. I walked up here and I said, Pastor, thank you. I counted a deep honor. Y'all remember Junior? Yeah, and happy birthday, Tyler. I'm 41. I've got... Man, I'm glad you stopped me before I got done. I had to start all over. Now, by the way, I'm ready to get out of here just about as y'all are now. Do you know why? Because the hot light was on at Krispy Kreme when I came by. Amen? <laughs> if I get back over and that thing's gone off, I'm going to be upset with somebody. All right, back to what we was talking about. Here we go. And then you got this, this thing where I can't hardly see who's up there. But anyway, I'm glad you got me now. I'm sorry about that, but um, it really won't my fault. It really won't. Yes, sir. You can't see, but that fell up there with his hand up. It's his fault. Well, now, now the lights are out. It's just like Walmart. We'll have an announcement. Please make your way to the door. We're about to close. All right, I about lost y'all. Please do bring people back. It'll get better through the week, I promise. We got five lessons tonight, y'all. I'm, I'm so grateful. The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Y'all just had two tablets real good, and it's been good. But let's look together. Let's get serious. Lessons learned from the land of Oz. What does it mean to be a new creature, a new creation, a brand new person? Lesson number one is the lesson of the scarecrow. If you remember from your recollection tonight, the scarecrow wanted one thing and one thing only. Anybody remember what it was? He wanted a brain. That's all he could think about. He wanted a, a brain. He wanted to be able to think. And he wanted to be able to discern. And he wanted to be able to reason and rationalize. May I say to you, based on the authority of the Word of God, when you come to Christ, He gives you a brand new brain. You don't think the way you used to think. You don't see things the way you used to see things. You don't reason things out just by human intuition and intellect. But by the discerning presence of the power of God. The brain or the mind of Christ is a wonderful thing. In Philippians 2, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.15, I'm telling you, I love Awana. I was, I was saved at eight years old, and Awana was my connection to the church, and I'm so grateful for that. Approved workmen are not ashamed. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Beloved, there has never been a time until now in the 21st century church that people, adults, men, women, and even boys and girls and teenagers are so ill-prepared when it comes to spiritual things they do not have the understanding or the knowledge of the word of God as previous generations have in fact when we sing some of the old hymns of the faith many Christians will look and say I don't get it I've never been discipled I've never been taught the word of God in many churches they can become miles wide but only an inch deep beloved I want to tell you we must be a spiritually minded people when we think about that new person in Christ it begins with the spiritual mind and it's all about the Word. Three things. Number one, the spiritually minded believer has a love in their heart for the Word. The Bible says as newborn babes, we are to desire the sincere milk of the Word. We will know the difference. When we first got married, we used whole milk. And then we began using low-fat milk. And then we began using 2% milk. And then we began using skim milk. Now we use almond milk. I tell you, I'm just going to start eating my cereal dry before long. But not too long ago, I was in a restaurant and I ordered a little bowl of cereal, you know. And they brought it out and I went to put this stuff on top of my cereal. And I said, my goodness, is this paint? Because it was whole milk. And my, my milk had been watered down little bit by little bit by little bit. Till I could no longer ingest the real thing. Beloved, may I say to you that across our nation, the word of God has been watered down little bit by little bit by little bit. And when you and I stand and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. God and we proclaim the inerrancy of scripture many today say I just can't stomach that that's too strong for me I just can't handle that but my Bible says we'll have a desire for the sincere that is the whole milk of the word of God we're to love the word we're secondly to learn the word 
I'm afraid there's a great uh, sense of malnourishment within the church today. Many who are spiritually malnourished because they simply don't know the word. I would love to have brought my two uh, newest adopted babies with me tonight. Oh, they're precious Sam and Sophie. They're little rescue puppies, if you're wondering. And they're part chihuahua, one part I ain't real sure, but they're cute as a button. And when we got Sophie, she was at death's door. We did not know that. We adopted her, and my wife took her to the veterinarian. And the vet said, well, uh, this little dog's about to die. She's so malnourished. And Tiffany said, my wife, she said, well, how, how can you tell? She says, look at her little claws, her little toenails whatever you want to call them, depending on how much you like dogs. Uh, but anyway, by the way, I didn't know y'all had a cat. I was up there this afternoon trying to get ready, and I stepped out, and there, we ought to tell somebody you got a cat in the house. But anyway, <laughs> back to what I was talking about. And, uh, and, 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 and the vet showed the little claws, and the claws were just as white. I mean, pure white, like white out. And the doctor and, and the veterinarian said, that's because she's so malnourished. There's no nutrition. There's no nutrients, and, and she's dying. He said, but you'll be surprised. You start feeding that dog and you start loving that dog and you start nurturing that dog and you start caring for that dog and you watch the color come back into those claws. And it became quite interesting as we watched a week and two weeks went by. And before you know it, that little dog looked like she had a French manicure because it was just the very end tips that were real white. And you could see that flesh tone, that flesh color coming back into those claws. It was evident that she was no longer malnourished. And can I say to you, brothers and sisters, it is evident to those around you when you're in the Word of God and when you're growing and being nourished, you will flourish in His Word. We must learn the word and thirdly we must live the word no matter how much we love it no matter how much we learn it lest we live it it is all for naught in fact the bible says faith without works is dead the bible says we're not just to be hearers of the word but doers as well in Acts chapter 11, Christians are begun to call themselves little Christ. I so want to be like the Christ of the Bible so that when others see me they see Christ we need to be model Christians it reminds me, I was preaching a revival some time back and there was one dear lady and I could just tell she didn't much care for me. There's always one or two or a dozen or more. And, uh, and every night she would just kind of come out and she'd give me one of those handshakes like she wished she didn't have to and she hoped she had Lysol after, you know. And, uh, and every night just kind of come out and look at me. Well, the very last night she finally spoke. She looked at me and she said, I've listened to you preach all week. And I've determined one thing and one thing only. And I thought, well, here goes. So I kind of hung on. She said, I find you to be a model preacher. And I thought, well, bless her heart. I have misjudged this dear lady. You know? And then she said, when you get home, look it up. Look it up. So I couldn't wait. I got home and I opened up the Webster's Dictionary and there it was. I looked up the word model. I already knew what the word preacher meant. I looked up the word model and it said a small interpretation of the real thing, you know. <laughs> oh, beloved, that when people look at us and when people hear us and when people are around us, they say, there he is, there she is. She is a small or he is a small interpretation of the real thing. Oh, that we would have the mind or the brain of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, the lesson learned from the ten man. Nobody can forget the ten man. All he wanted was what? A heart. Every day he begged for a heart. Every day he desired a heart. He wanted a heart like others. Beloved, when I meet lost people, it used to anger me because they act so lost. But you know, they're just that lost. If someone were to come by here tonight and say, Listen, I left Miami and I'm headed to New York City and I'm lost. Can you give me directions? We wouldn't yell at them. We wouldn't condemn them. We wouldn't put them down. We wouldn't talk about them or make rules to keep them out of our church. We would have pity upon them because they're lost. They can't get where they're going less than somebody tells them. Friend, it's time the church of the Lord Jesus Christ have a heart like Christ. Ezekiel 36, it's a wonderful passage. God says, I want to take your heart, your stone cold heart. You, you, your heart that is without compassion, your heart that is without pity, your heart that is without concern, I want to take it from you and I want to put it in its place, my heart. A heart of flesh, a heart that is pure and, and full of love and mercy and grace. 
I visited a lady at Duke on numerous occasions who had just had a heart transplant. And her husband one time was there and he was looking through this magazine, or this brochure that they had given him on the procedure. And he let me take a look. And I looked at that book at how intricate all of the details of a heart transplant are. And ultimately, here's what happens. They, they, they cut open the body of a, of a human being with a heart that is there and it is barely beating and it's, it's no longer any good. It's the last resort. That heart will not survive. That heart will not sustain their life. And tedious steps are taken. Arteries and veins and all of the, the muscular uh, tissues and all around the heart and everything is, is carefully cut and, and labeled and marked where... They know exactly where it reconnects, you might say. And then finally that heart is taken out and for a few moments that body is existing on totally artificial means. And then there is another heart that is there in a cooler and it's been brought out into the room to begin to, to develop room temperature. And then it's begin to brought up to the very temperature of that body. And then it goes into that body and all of those arteries and veins and all of the systems are hooked back together. I know I'm making this very detailed. But, and finally everything is hooked back and they shock that, that heart and they massage that heart until finally it is beating inside of that person giving them a new hope and a new lease on life and it's an amazing, amazing thing. As I read that tears began coming down my eyes because I realized this is what happens for you and for me. That person laying on that operating table cannot exist with two hearts. Neither can we. We cannot love the world and love the Savior. We cannot love carnal things and love the things of Christ. It is either or. He will not share us. He is a jealous God. So our old stone cold heart is removed from us. Why? Because it's dead. It is no longer any good to us. We cannot function spiritually that way. And he takes it and he discards it. And he places within us his very heart. His very nature. As I wept over those pages, the gentleman said, Is everything okay? And I said, Brother, it is, and I'm sorry. But it just hit me that the only way your wife could get a new heart was for somebody to die. And brother, the only way for me to get a new heart was for somebody to die. And his name was the Lord Jesus Christ. If any man's in Christ, he does have a new heart. And it is the heart of his Savior. What are the evidences of a Christ-like heart? Number one, a passion for the Savior. Do you have a passion for Christ? I'm not talking about a passion for your church or your beloved pastor or this building or the traditions of our faith. But do you have a passion for the one who is called the Alpha and the Omega? The one who is called the beginning and the end who is the Christ and the Deliverer and the Day Star. He is the everlasting Father and the fairest of ten thousands. He is God's great gift to mankind. He is our heavenly Father and our high priest. He is our intercessor and our infinite one. The Bible says he is the great I am. Christ is just in justice. He is both King of kings and Lord of lords. He is maker, Messiah, and majesty. His is the name that is above every name. He is the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent one. He is the prince of peace and the quickener of the dead. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. He is absolute truth. He is the unspeakable gift of God in the virgin's firstborn. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the express image of the invisible God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is even Zion's hope and mighty host. You see, from A to Z, He is to be our passion. We must have a passion for our Savior. It will be evident to those around us. People know if we're football nuts. People know if we're baseball fans. People know if we're NASCAR uh, you know, fans. People know what our passions are. Our passion must be the Lord Jesus Christ and others will see that in and through us. Secondly, not only do we have a passion for the Savior, we will have a passion for the saints. There's nothing like the fellowship between God's people. By the way, I enjoyed our time together this morning. I enjoyed the food. Sister, you did not have to bring me that banana pudding. 
You really didn't? I went to put my, I, brother, I wanted to be dignified here in your fancy place tonight. So I tried to get my coat button. It like to flew off and poked somebody in the eye. Honest to goodness, I gained 20 pounds this morning. You ought not to let me do that. You ought to said something. Stop me. I mean, the Bible says if you see your brother sitting, stop him and you let me go right on. It's really your fault. You need to repent. There's an altar. I mean, really, come on. Anyhow, but you know we see today that there's very little passion amongst the saints. Churches feuding and fighting. I want to tell you, I was in a restaurant not too long ago, maybe a year or so ago, and I heard these three ladies over talking, and they were, they were, they were well, I was listening, I was eavesdropping, but anyway, and they were talking about this new church in town and how this preacher thought he was all that and how this preacher was going out and getting everybody else's members to come and join it with his church, and he thought he was the only man in town that, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and I kept listening and hearing and wondering who was this scoundrel turned out it was me and I couldn't believe it and I thought to myself and I can honestly say God's blessed our late church it is a new church plant two years old and, and, but there's only been one family that joined from another church and they hadn't been to that church in about two years God has blessed us but it's amazing how the, how the saints of God feud over things If we could understand there is but one church and it is the body of Christ, the arm can't fight the leg and the leg can't fight the back. Listen, we got to work together. A passion for the saints. Oh, but there's more. There's also got to be a passion for the sinner. Passion for the sinner. You've probably heard the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and and Nate Nate Saint and, and others who went to Ecuador as missionaries and literally were killed for trying to witness and to win uh, these folks in Ecuador to Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot would go back. Nate Saint's um, sister and his son, Rachel and Steve, would go back. And they would win the, the, uh, the, uh, many of these tribesmen. They would win uh, these that, that, that had literally killed their husband, killed their brother, killed their father. And then go back into those villages and win more people. Why? Because they love sinners. Friend, the older I get, the more I realize that Christ has called us not to judge the sinner, not to condemn the sinner, but to love the sinner in Jesus' name. Wednesday, we'll be looking at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, a a story and a passage that absolutely has impacted my heart like no other. Beloved, we must have a love for the people who need to know Jesus. If it's your son, if it's your daughter who's lost, you're going to desire somebody to love them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here tonight and you have a parent who's lost, you're going to hope God will send somebody their way to love them in Jesus' name. And we've been commanded to have the heart of Christ and to love others in that precious name. Number three, not only do we learn from the scarecrow, not only do we learn from the tin man, but who could forget the lovable old lion? The lesson of the lion, remember daily he desired what? Courage. He wanted to have courage in the Bible, just in the New Testament alone, 365 times, one for every day of the year. The Bible says, fear not, fear not, fear not, be not afraid. Friend, the Bible tells us very clearly that it's time that the church of God stand. And when we've done all that we know to do, just stand. How we love that old hymn of the faith, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. What does it look like to stand up? What does it look like to have the courage of Christ? When we think of Christ in the midst of temptation, he had courage. In the midst of trials, he had courage. In the midst of tragedy, he had courage. In the midst of even death, he had courage. We must stand up for the principles of the Word of God. I'm grateful to be able to hold a little office in the Baptist State Convention. And I announced last week that I'll be running in November for president of our convention. I don't know if I'll get elected or not. And since y'all aren't Baptist, y'all can't even vote for me. So I'm not going to politic and try to get 
get your vote. But I've decided if God should give me that honor, and I don't know that he would or not, but in November I'll have to get up and make a, 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 an acceptance speech. You know, can't you imagine somebody as a country bumpkin as me up there in front of thousands of people making an acceptance speech that, that they've elected me their president? If they do, I'm going to wonder about some of them. But anyhow, and I've decided I'm going to make my speech real eloquent. I'm going to stand up there all five foot five and a quarter of myself behind that great big old podium on a, on a little platform like this probably they've got so they can see me. I'm going to clear my throat and I'm going to say to the top of my voice, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I'm standing alone on the B-I-B-L-E. Listen, friend, I want to tell you that is the only thing we have to stand on. That is the only thing that we have to gain our courage and get our guts from is the Bible. We've got to stand up for his principles. Number two, we've got to stand out at his church. Brother in the red shirt there, I've seen you a couple of times today and riding around that big old red truck of yours. I love your shirt. I'm going to tell you, most teenagers wouldn't wear a shirt like that. Oh, they'd wear one with all kind of things on it, but I'm proud of you and others. I'm not just picking out one or two or three, but I'm proud of you. Be willing to stand up. Be willing to stand out. It's okay. God never called us to go along with the crowd. Let me tell you something, young people. You need to hear this. And I believe most of you already get it. I spent so many years as a teenager trying to be cool. You know? And, my, and preachers can even get caught up in that, you know? When I started, I, I started this church and I wanted to be a, lay, a, a, a church planter, so I went out and bought me some church planter clothes. I was trying to be a cool preacher. But listen, I want to tell you, if you ever get to the point that you realize what cool means, you know what cool means? Cool means not so hot. That's what it means. <laughs> not so hot. Listen... Who wants to fit in with this crowd today? I'm willing to stand out. I'm willing to stand out from the crowd and stand out as a person who loves my Lord. Number three, I'm going to stand in the power of His might. Those three Hebrew boys that said we might live and we might die, but either way, we're not going to bow. Burn us if you will, but we're not going to bow. How? Because I'm standing in the power of the might of God. Little David facing, facing Goliath. He said, you're coming to me with sword and with spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. We can stand in that same power. And then fourthly, we can stand on His promises. Every promise of the Word of God is personal from the mouth of God to the hearts and the ears of every believer and I can stand on it. When the Bible says I will never leave you nor forsake you, I can stand on it. When the Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world, I can stand on it. When the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, I can stand on it. Oh, that we would have the courage of Christ. Number four. We've seen the lesson of the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion. Oh, but this is probably my favorite. And that is the lesson of little Dorothy. Little Dorothy. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you I don't have a lesson from the witch. I could make comparisons to her and the enemy, the devil. But I'm not going to give him time tonight. I don't have any lessons about Toto because I couldn't figure one out. But the lesson of Dorothy is so very sweet. It is the lesson about citizenship. Friend, there was never, listen, never one moment that Dorothy felt like she belonged in Oz. It's been a long time since I felt like I belonged down here. I can go over to the mall and do some shopping and I walk around and say, I just don't belong here. I can go hang out at a ball game and my kids play ball and I hang around and I listen to everybody and, and watch how they're acting. I just don't belong here. I just don't fit in here. This world is it's not my home. In fact, I'm just passing through. The Bible says I am a pilgrim. I am a stranger. In fact, if I do feel like I belong here, there's something wrong. You see, my citizenship is already in glory. What was her motivation every day? Somewhere over the rainbow, she would sing. She would click her heels together and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. All oh, the privilege of being with the saints of God when they were entering the next world. Many as they were taking their dying breaths with a smile upon their face. And they would look to their family and said, I'm going home. I'm going home. Not I'm leaving home. Not I'm going to miss home. Not I sure am going to regret. No, it's I'm going home. Friend, no matter where you might live. I've gotten kind of hung up on this tiny house movement. 
Now, I moved from a 3,500-square-foot parsonage to a 1,000-square-foot White Lake Cottage a couple years ago, and I just loved it. Now I've, I've determined we can move to a 400-square-foot cottage. <laughs> My wife's not so sure. She said we was going to have to get two, one for me and one for her. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we get all, all caught up. I love to watch HGTV. Can I get a witness? <laughs> love to watch HGTV, you know, and, and watch them decorate, you know. Hey, brother, i got to tell you a story. It's, it's a beautiful one. I was at the Baptist State Convention a few years ago, and there was a pastor, and he's uh, in, in his mid to upper 70s. And, man, he's, he's a preacher, loves the Word just like your pastor, heart for sinners. I mean, just a wonderful man. And another preacher that I knew walked by, and this preacher's been retired for a few years, and they began talking. And the, and the retired preacher kind of said, you know, how are things going? He said, oh, man, he said, I, I, I'm doing ten revivals every year. I'm filling in pulpits. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I've been on mission trips last month, getting ready to go. And I meant all these things. And he looked at the old retired preacher. He said, so what have you been up to? He said, oh, we've been having the best time. He said, we, we, we reap all papered our, our, our whole bedroom. And, and, and we built an old suite onto our, our bedroom. Now we have a master suite. And he kept on going on and that other preacher looked at him and he said, Are you crazy? He said, Jesus is getting ready to come back and all you're doing is getting your house ready for some old sinner to move in. You know? <laughs> How we get so consumed with this world, right? Oh, we want the right home and the right neighborhood and all the... Friend, can I tell you, this is not your home. You have a destiny. You have a place already set for you. If you are a Christian, the Bible says we have a home whose builder and maker is God. If you read the King James Version, it said you have a mansion. Well, that's fine. If you read the NIV, it says you have a dwelling place. Let me tell you how it is, beloved. Back in the days of the Jewish marriage, if a young man wanted to, uh, if, he, if he wanted to marry a woman, he'd have to go to her father and explain the situation. And if it was agreeable, the father would say, I tell you what you do, old boy. You go back to your daddy's house and you go build a room on the end of his house and when it's done and it's ready and it's fit for my daughter, your bride then you come back and then you can have her. The Bible says that Jesus is building a room on the Father's house for every person that knows him as Savior and Lord and one of these days the the horn's going to toot, I'm going to scoot and I'm going home. Amen? I've told my wife, I don't want to be buried in a suit. You find some other little short, stumpy guy that needs some suits, you give them all to him. It's okay, I said it, you didn't. I said, honey, I want you to bury me in a t-shirt. And all that the t-shirt's going to have on it is two dice. Two dice. That don't sound fit for the preacher, does it? Two dice. Look like you just went to Las Vegas or something. But here's the thing, y'all. When people walk by and look at me in the casket... And they look at me and their tears are coming down or whatever, you know. Maybe I owe them money or something. I don't know. But they're looking down at me and carrying on. They'll look over at Tiffany and say, what does that shirt mean? And she's going to say, oh, he just wanted everybody to know that he was in paradise right now. Because my Savior called heaven paradise. Friend, I may never live on paradise on earth, but I'm going to spend eternity in a place Jesus called paradise. My citizenship, because of this newness in Christ, because of this new creation, is in heaven already her misery every day think about it you remember Oz is not my home I want to go home I want to go home I'm not trying to get you depressed but friend I'm ready it is well with my soul if Jesus were to return tonight I'm ready her mindset whatever it takes I've got to get Friend, I'm thankful to tell you, you don't have to find the way. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Her motivation, every day she would close her eyes and she would think about Annie M. She would think about those people in Kansas. She would think about those people that she dearly missed. She would think about life in Kansas where she'd truly be happy. Friend, I want to tell you, every one of us tonight can think about those that are already in glory. We can think about this place that Jesus called paradise, that we call heaven. That place that we call glory. Oh, how motivating it is. Finally, lesson number five, and we'll close. We've learned about the mind and the heart and the courage and the citizenship. But finally, there is one last lesson we learned. 
And it is the lesson of the wizard himself. You see, every day this quartet of seekers followed the yellow brick road. They followed the yellow brick road in hopes of meeting the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. You and I are living in a time where people are looking for hope. They're looking for the answers to their questions. They're looking for someone to make it all right. They're looking for someone that can give them joy and peace and give them everything their hearts desire. But may I say to you, the hope of this world is not of this world. Jesus said about himself, as I quoted earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Beloved, listen and get this if you don't get another thing. The hope for all mankind is not found in a wizard hidden behind a veil, but rather it is the one who tore the veil from top to bottom. We could not tear it from bottom to top. So from the heavenlies it is torn as we are now access to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. You and I can know Jesus Christ in a personal way, in an intimate way, even to the point that we can cry out to the God of heaven, Abba, Father, calling the God of heaven who spoke all matters into existence, our Daddy. You see, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. I wonder tonight, do you have the goods? Is there evidence in your life and in my life of a true salvation experience? When people look at us, do they see someone who has the discerning mind of Christ? Do they see someone with the compassionate and caring heart of Christ, with the courage of Christ to stand for what is right? Do they see a person whose citizenship is not of this world? The things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace, O beloved. Do they see someone who has found their hope? their joy, their strength, and their peace in the very one who tore the veil upon Calvary's cross. There was a store out on the corner of town. Every town has them. Gas, bread, the basic necessities of life. Many years ago, the old store owner had a good little business there, but nothing to really write home about. A few gallons of gas every hour and the folks of the community, most of them had credit accounts they could come by. Many of you grew up with a store like that. The old gentleman that ran the store, he was not given to, to fancy, frilly things at all. Always drove an old car and wore old overalls and that sort of thing. But on this one particular day, a traveling salesman came by and put a few gallons of gas in his fancy car. The salesman came in to pay for the gas and the Older gentleman just spoke and asked him how he was. He said, well, to be honest, not so good. He said, in fact, things are, are pretty bad. Older gentleman, as was his nature, just said, well, tell me about it. He said, oh, I don't want to bother you with my trouble. He said, no, it's fine. That's what I'm here for. He said, well, you see, sir, I, I, I'm a salesman. Traveled this road many times. And I, at one time, I was the top salesman in my company, and everything was going great. Had everything money could buy, and wonderful home, fancy car. He said, I'm losing it all. Business has gone south, and he said, I barely have enough money to put gas in the car even to get me home. When I get home, I don't know what I'm going to tell my wife. Older gentleman, so brokenhearted over the dilemma of this young man, said, well, son, is there anything that I can do? The salesman thought for a minute, and he said, well, actually, maybe there is. He took the watch off of his arm and he said, Sir, I know it's a lot to ask, but I won this watch from my company a number of years ago. And he said, it's, it's very valuable. It was quite an expensive watch. He said, would there be any way that you might would buy my watch? So that at least I'd have a little bit to go home and kind of start all over with. And the older gentleman said, no, son, I, I don't go for that kind of thing. But something in the 
corner of that old man's eye just kind of sparkled when he saw that shiny wristwatch. He had never seen anything like it. The salesman put it up on the counter, and there it was, encased in diamonds and solid gold, and the name Rolex right there on the middle of the watch. He said, is that a Rolex? The young man said, yes, it is, one of the best. He said, sir, that watch was valued at over $10,000 when I received it. He said, sir, I know it's a lot to ask, but could you give me $1,000 for it? The old man's first reaction was to say no, but he thought, you know, I'm a businessman. $10,000 watch for $1,000. That's not bad. He said, I'll do it. He said, son, if you're sure. The young man said, it's fine with me. It's just a thing. The old man went out in the back and he pulled out some old coffee cans and pulling $50 out of this one, $100 out of that one, to finally had it all. And he brought it out and he said, there it is. You can count it. He said, no, I trust you. The young man put it in his pocket and shook the man's hand and off and he never saw him again. The older gentleman went home that night and he was wearing that watch. As they sat down to supper, the older gentleman's wife couldn't help but notice. She said, what is that on your arm? He said, honey, we need to talk. You ever had to do that, husbands? <laughs> honey, we need to talk. He said, today the strangest thing happened. He told her the whole story. She said, but I don't understand. You've never gone for something like that. That's just not like you. And he said, well, I got to thinking about that thing first. I, it was a great investment. It's worth a lot more than I paid for. He said, you know, honey, it's worried us for a long time that we don't have any life insurance. But he said, we do now. He said, I've been thinking all afternoon, and here's what I've decided. He said, when I die, I want you and the boys. He had two sons. He said, I want you and the boys to take my watch, and you sell it, and you pay for my funeral. He said, then whatever's left over, you just enjoy yourself a little bit in my memory. She said, we couldn't do it. He said, no, I want you to promise me you'll do that. She did. A few years would pass, and sure enough, the old man would pass away. Mama told the boy, said, you know what you got to do? You got to take your daddy's watch and sell it. It's the only way we can pay for the funeral. They took that watch and with heavy hearts went over to the local jewelry store. And about an hour later, they came back home and they said, Mama, you better sit down. What's the matter? She said, Mama, that watch isn't real. He said, Mom, that, that, that watch is a fake. He said, all those years ago, that salesman took advantage of Daddy. That, that watch is absolutely worthless. It's not real, Mom. She said, oh, no. How could this have happened? She said, are you sure? Are you sure? Your, your Daddy used to show everybody the sweeping motion of that Rolex and, and, and how heavy and it weighted and it was. And Are you sure? I, it, it had to be real. It looked real. They said, well, Mama, actually, at first the jeweler thought it was real. Until he opened it up and looked on the inside. And said, the outside looked real, but the inside just wouldn't. I wonder, beloved, it isn't about what the person to your right or your left thinks of you. Oh, that's important that we have a good witness. But you see, the sweet Holy Spirit of God, during a time of invitation, will open us up. And he sees what's going on on the inside. He sees if it's real. We can act like the real thing and we can try to imitate the real thing and go through all the motions. But are you a genuine article? Are you an authentic believer? A new mind, a new heart, a new courage, a new citizenship, a new master. If not, there is no time like tonight to settle it once and for all. Father, I thank you for the fact that in Christ we are new creations, brand new. I thank you for the promise of Scripture that we can have the mind and the heart and the courage and citizenship and even the lordship of Christ present in our life and father so many times we're satisfied just to just to go through the motions and to pretend father one of these days upon our death there's going to be a reckoning and all oh, that none of us would find ourselves discovered that it wasn't authentic 
God, I believe you're speaking to some people tonight. And Lord, I have no ability to give an invitation. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray you would invite. You would do the inviting. And we would respond. Lord, that you'd save a soul tonight. That you would radically change a life tonight of someone here. Make us more like you every day. In the sweet and the precious and the most powerful name of Jesus, I do pray. Amen and amen. How about it, friend? Are you the real thing? God speaking to your heart. <clears throat> you alone can answer that. He knows. You're the only other one that knows. If he's speaking to your heart, listen and do his bidding. Whatever he's asking, whatever he's leading you to do, you hear his voice and be obedient to him. David, our closing hymn. Jesus paid it all, number 210 in your hymnal. If Pastor can help you here at the front, I'll be glad to. I would remind all who are here, you can do business with the Lord right where you sit. And doing business with the Lord is what this is all about. Glorious truth. Jesus paid it all. May I encourage you don't deprive someone that you know, love, care about of hearing this preacher tomorrow evening. Invite a friend. Invite a neighbor, someone in your family that doesn't know Jesus yet, but they're on the way. Bring them with you tomorrow evening. Bob Johnson, would you come down to the front so everybody can hear you well and dismiss us this evening, please? <laughs>